This episode is brought to you by Buffalo Trace Distillery. Powerful yet smooth. Contained but never tame. Proudly going their own way, but never going alone. This is the spirit inside Buffalo Trace bourbon. Made at Buffalo Trace Distillery. The world's most award-winning distillery. Buffalo Trace is always perfectly untamed. Distilled, aged, and bottled by Buffalo Trace Distillery. Franklin County, Kentucky. 90 proof. 45% alcohol by volume. Learn more at buffalotracedistillery.com. Please drink responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey there, Junior Adventurers. It's me, Steve. And I'm just going to take a moment of your time to tell you about Anchor.fm. Do you want to record a podcast? Of course you do. It's great. Well, Anchor.fm has everything you need to record and edit your podcast from your phone or your computer. And once you're done recording, it will help you distribute to all the major podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Jamboree. I just made that one up, but you get the idea. Not only is Anchor completely free to use, it also allows you to monetize your podcast with no minimum listener requirement. It is everything you need to run a podcast in one place, and it is easy to use. And if it wasn't, I wouldn't be using it. You've heard the podcast, you know I'm not that smart. So download the free app or go to anchor.fm to start your podcast adventure. That's anchor.fm. Maybe I'll say it again just to be annoying, anchor.fm. Okay, enjoy the show. This is not a test. Don't expect to be impressed. Put on your life vest. Sit down your Hi there, and welcome to the Side Quest. When we're not having wacky adventures, we're having wacky realities, where we talk about crap and occasionally have a fascinating guest joining us. And before we get into that fascinating guest, we've got the usual wankers. It's myself, Steve Weverell, Rick Baltieri, Robert Bevan. Say hello, everyone. I was too busy wanking. Hello, friends. <laughs> I'm now annoyed I didn't get to do the wanking joke first. Well, you know, there's plenty of time. You got to be quick here. And speaking of uh, getting in quick with the wanking jokes, welcome to CT Phipps. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Also, there's probably a reason why none of us are having live video. <laughs> yeah, if you're watching SideQuest, if you're expecting a live video interview this time, I'm sorry, but we're all too busy masturbating. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. yeah unfortunately, the spokesmodels couldn't uh, show up tonight. So rather than, uh, rather than assault you with our faces. Just the hand models. Just imagine a pudgy young William Shatner, and you have me. <laughs> Excellent. That sets the tone nicely. That will uh, live in the imaginations of our listeners. The rest of us are pudgy Picard. It's <laughs> true. That's somebody's fantasy. Anyway, C.T. Phipps, author of many, many series, including Agent G, the Cthulhu Armageddon, Straight Out of Fankton, and uh, the largest one, the Super Villainy Saga. 
Oh, yes. I've had the luck of uh, being unable to stick to a single subject throughout my six-year writing career. Yeah. I've been able to just, you know, take advantage of the whole uh, indie markets and just like, oh, well, I feel like writing a Cthulhu book, so I'm going to do that. And it's set in the post-apocalypse because, you know, no one's going to tell me no as an editor. And then I'm going to do some urban fantasy books like uh, What If Blades and Clerks Were Together, which is straight out of Fankton. And uh, I Was a Teenage Were-Deer, which I swear people only buy because of the title. And my most successful book... It's an intriguing uh, title. My most successful titles, which are two, uh, Space Academy Dropouts, which just came out on uh, Audible via Podium, and the Supervillainy Saga starts with The Rules of Supervillainy, which is my loving homage to all the money I've wasted on comic books for the past 40 years. Oh, excellent. I mean, we've had some, we've had authors on this podcast before, and we've had their various motivations for writing, and they are various. But that's the, uh, yeah, just getting back at all the uh, money you wasted on comic books. That's, that's a solid motive, I think, for getting into publishing. Yeah. Yes. If I actually make enough money for taxes, then I uh, can uh, write them off now. Research material. <laughs> all the video games there. Yes. It's just like, I have to get into this fantasy work here. Control $70 off, straight off anything I pay to the government. I love that. You're just sitting there looking at this huge mountain of media. Just go, oh, man, I've got to justify this. Also, think of all the writing you'll get done in prison. <laughs> <laughs> it's white-collar prison, man. I'll meet some celebrities. <laughs> They'll send you to pound you in the ass prison for a tax evasion? <laughs> well, let's hope not. There's always the exception to that rule. True. True. Very much so. Like you know, we were going to send you to the country club prison, but we just uh, we just tossed some like you know some 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 rich execs in there, and it's kind of like you know it's kind of full. You're, you'll be fine at Rikers. Oh yeah, yeah. These Amazon authors have been getting too uppity. We need we need to make some examples. Just get put in a gulag somewhere. That's where it's heading. The the rich must sacrifice some of their own on occasion to satisfy the mob. <laughs> random <laughs> random aside, there actually. Uh, uh, I have the unique experience of having uh, grown up in a family that was very rich, uh, lost everything during the housing crisis there, and thus I actually have all these wonderful experiences of the Country Club set, which I can tell you, yes, they are in fact exactly like the villains from Caddyshack. That's some interesting insight. Oh, yes. Yeah, I hmm. thought you were going to say it was all ass-pounding. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I thought you were going to say, yeah, and, that, and now he's in prison. <laughs> Lost I mean, I everything in the housing crisis. Insights into that uh, area there. Uh, if it was, it was going on beyond the scenes there. No, uh, man, this has just set the tone for the rest of the night, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we were gonna we're gonna talk about other things, but now we're talking about white collar ass pounding. That's what this podcast is about. If you're gonna pick your cellmate there, Ewan McGregor. <laughs> I'm not. Right, I've got to say, just you know, for legal reasons. I'm not sure if Ewan McGregor has done anything illegal or if he has been in prison. And I don't know what he's done in that prison. Uh, redacted, redacted, redacted. Let's let's move on. I'm picking C.T. Phipps. Uh, <laughs> innocent. Oh. <laughs> I think I can make him my bitch. You wouldn't be talking to the guy for like five minutes, man. Let's, uh, let's hear him yeah, out and then, yeah. then we'll decide who is whose bitch. At least buy him flowers first. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't I need to be taking bitch-making lessons from Rick. I'm just saying, pack the shit, man. <laughs> That's all i uh, got to say. <laughs> we got to make some examples. Okay. So, who shall we uh, talk about uh, the books thereof first uh, in a shameless way of uh, promoting them? Well, 
you. How you're, about yours? Yeah, you're the guest, man. <laughs> that's why you're here. Ah, well, yeah. that's a good yeah. They listen to our shit every week. Ah, yes, but if if they have if they haven't bought our stuff by now, they're not going to start. But I want to shamelessly promote Rick instead. <laughs> well, here's an interesting turnaround. Just kidding. No. <laughs> So, so, so tell, tell us the CT FIP story. Oh, yes. Well, it's kind of uh, funny there. As I graduated uh, with my master's of literature and I had the choice between either teaching college or writing. And of course, you know, I could, it was at a bad time uh, for getting any jobs uh, teaching college. So I decided to do some writing. <laughs> and I had a, a really great plan there that I would be the next Jim Butcher and I would write this one long series of urban fantasy novels uh, that would be massively successful and guide me to the rest of the world. And anyone who's actually been an author will, of course, understand how utterly stupid this plan was from the beginning. But it uh, has some wonderful little verbs and terms. Well, the first one is I did manage to uh, sell uh, the first book that I wrote for this urban fantasy series, which is called Esoterism. And it's basically uh, spies versus the supernatural. It's, you know, a pretty well-trotted area there, but, you know, very snarky and fun. And I sold it, and then the uh, company that had the rights for it, turns out, didn't re- actually want to publish it. So they kept just delaying it for, like, one or two years at a time. And I'm waiting, like, when is it coming out? When is it coming out? And meanwhile, uh, as I was uh, trying to figure out what to do for the sequels that, you know, still hadn't been contracted, uh, I had this wonderful idea for... A, a bunch of superhero jokes because it was the start of the Marvel Universe and, you know, Iron Man had just come out and all this other stuff. And I have been reading comic books since uh, three years old, you know, basically. And I, I shouldn't have been able to read at that time there, but I could. And I used, I actually uh, once polybagged all my Spider-Man comics and used them to decorate my walls. I put a little a piece of plastic tape on the back and cover it. So, yeah, I was a big superhero fan the entire time there, and I had a lot of superhero jokes. So I combined them all into one enormous, uh, well, actually fairly short book there, about uh, 60,000 or 70,000 words, and I called it The Rules of Supervillainy, and I just threw it out uh, self-published and with some, uh, later with some indie uh, publishers as well, who were just, you know, self-publishers themselves there. I was like, well, this is not going to do anything good there. And hilariously, as my other book remained in a legal limbo because they didn't want to give it back to me, but they didn't actually want to publish it. The Rules of Supervillainy took off, and if you just check it on Audible, it has 4,800 ratings and 400 and, I think, 20 reviews on Amazon. Nice. Very nice. I'm really curious about what was so dangerous about this book you submitted that they can't possibly release it. (laughs) You got too close to the truth. Bro. I mean, you know, pr- pretty much it's about the government covering up the supernatural and being an asshole about it and incompetent. And it's like, well, clearly that must be true. But no, the actual story was uh, way, way back when there was this indie zombie and horror a novel publisher called Permuta Press, which was very successful and did some wonderful uh, books like X Heroes and a few others uh, that had decent uh, franchising. And, well, they got bought by these people from California who thought they were going to be publishers. And then they thought, well, zombie books are going to be the next big thing. So let's hire every single zombie book we can there. And, uh, oh, and this other thing that submitted. And then they uh, finally released their first couple of zombie novels and they sold absolutely nothing. And it was like, oh my God, we've got like the rights for like 200 books we've agreed to publish and no one's going to buy any of them. Man, I'd love to have enough money to just be stupid about stuff. Sounds great. <laughs> oh yes, I, uh, you know, I used to be rich actually, and again, uh, 
that it was a wonderful experience to be able to spend money like on ridiculously bad ideas. Did you ever just buy like 200 zombie novels and think, oh my God, why did I do this? Well, you know, I uh, still have that uh, quality with my Kindle. Is there's like, I check my Kindle. I've got 200 novels here to read. Uh, they're all impulse buys. <laughs> I was say, maybe we should move away from books. I want to hear stories about, uh, about your like, you know, cocaine fueled hooker adventures here. Oh man, you know, that was uh, something I really should have gotten in on while I had the chance. Damn it. <laughs> A solid investment. I did, in fact, actually have my first hilarious uh, stupid drug use moment, actually, because uh, I uh, grew up in a, in a family of teeter-tallers. Uh, well, it, it started with me because the rest of my family were a bunch of stupid drunks. And, uh, well, having abstained my entire life from alcohol, smoking, and uh, any other form of uh, recreational substance there, uh, my wife does not there and is much more of the hippie bent there. And since, she came, since my niece came to live with us, uh, they baked, she baked an entire uh, two plates of uh, cookies, and I just thought, oh, that's nice of her. I think I'll eat some of these cookies. Reasonable. Yes. Eating four of these cookies, <laughs> I suddenly uh, could feel the infinity of the universe and became one of those philosophical stoners and lived under a blanket for a day. That sounds ideal. And now, now, I'm getting, now I'm envisioning like you know, your cousin. Your cousin's knocking on your door, being like, "Hey, we're flying down to Peru to, to grab some coke and like hookers." And you're like, as, as you're like stapling Spider-Man to your walls, like I'm busy de redecorating. Oh uh, yes, well apparently I'm a, a, li a complete lightweight because I uh, com passed out and uh, went into bizarre universes, uh, having eaten just a couple of pot cookies. So hey, All right, you said you used to be rich. Is this why you're now sucking dick for math? Oh, man, <laughs> oh, and you can do that. I thought that was just for fun. <laughs> I think you did on the mess. Oh, <laughs> uh, but actually, actually, I uh, live in uh, rural Kentucky, so literally everyone who passes by is either on meth or uh, opioids. So hey, it's kind of funny there that you know, uh, I was wondering uh, what my small rural town's primary export is. Now that uh, the steel plants have gone down, it's like, well, the primary exports are pills and o and opioids and uh, drugs of a much more methy kind. And I'm like, oh. That's actually our uh, legitimate uh, biggest import. Yep. <laughs> well, as long as the economy's trucking along. Oh, yes. Welcome to Methburg, the meth capital of the world. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say that. That We're not nearly that good. We're like third or fourth in the state, man. Uh, not even the meth capital of the world. That's it. You're sitting there eating your pot cookies. Yeah, we're, we're, on a, we're a nice little river there, but it is kind of noticeable when they when they have a headline saying like 250,000 pills a confiscated from a local distillery and i'm like okay <sighs> clearly i'm going to the wrong pharmacy that's a lot of pills yeah what are they doing with those pills i mean just out of interest them and uh feeling incredibly numb than dying <laughs> all right it's obviously getting caught by the cops at them <laughs> is that the people that are confiscating the pills oh, oh, oh yes uh local the local police uh, uh clearly had to have uh, been doing a shakedown there because otherwise they would never have caught anything uh, we have a, we have a wonderful collection of nice and competent as as well as uh, stupidly evil. <laughs> so what you're saying is is like pot being baked into your cookie was the good option. It could have been a lot worse. Uh, well, well I, I'm just saying that uh, if there's if I feel cheated of the fact that I spent uh, 40 years abstaining from drugs there because clearly I'm I'm not able to take them normally. So what was the actual point of educating me not to do it? What a waste of dare money. Still, I mean. <laughs> You know, you know something at the end of the day like you know 
having a trip, you know, visiting other worlds. That's that's a lot better than being like, well, and then I woke up and I was like eating a homeless man's face. <laughs> I ate a plate of meth cookies and now I'm in white collar prison. <laughs> um, yeah, we're not we're not doing great a uh, great job uh, there with my uh, drug knowledge. It's like they they talked about and this man committed cannibalism and mass murder on bath salts and i'm like wow who snorts uh the bath salts and you, i take them all the time in my bath <laughs> in, in all fairness that was my first thing too i was just like what what, what? somebody like this, like looked at one of their bath bombs and said you know shooting this up would be awesome <laughs> somebody's definitely done that the drug yes my drug lingo is not particularly great especially as i tried to explain what my condition was to my seasoned uh, pot using uh, relatives and they were like <laughs> you fucking dumbass it sounds uh, like if yeah. you if you're living in the the meth i guess suburb of america you should be a little bit more au fait about what's going around you don't want to be dropping bags of meth into your bath uh yes well I, I I just didn't notice there. As I said, it was also a thing there when my when I mentioned, it, of course, my family was rich there. It's like uh, then I, I would note that my father would often hang around with these uh, big, large biker guys, and I'm like, oh, they're you know just pump, uh, just a bunch of friendly guys there. And it turns out that apparently my father used to like be the one to pay off the uh, the Hell's Angels people from not disrupting events. <laughs> oh, sensible. Yes, yeah, so I'm like, uh, so you're the bag man, Tom. Yeah, yeah. That's an ancient business model. We've been doing that since yeah. the Vikings. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, and, but yeah, my authorial experience there, I uh, learned a, a few uh, things from all my experimentation. One is you should always finish the series you start. Two, uh, if you do develop a style that you're comfortable with, which is, in my case, first-person snarky assholes, uh, you should probably stick to that. And one, even if you have a great fandom for one of your book series, which is in this case the Super Villainy Saga there, you're not necessarily going to have the same fandom for any of your other book series. Don't I fucking know oh, it. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Well aware. Oh, yes. And and it's, it's, it's kind of funny there because also, uh, as I'm going to say, it's great to promote your fellow indie authors and to be great and uh, do reviews and network and uh, make good friends there. But also, like, uh, of... Of the five authors you do that for, one of them will probably return the favor. Oh man, yeah, that is absolutely true. Oh yes, I have some. I've made some truly wonderful friends and contacts and connections over the years there. And I also know these other people who will uh, send me every one of their books to review and then say like, "Yeah, um, have you have you finished them yet?" Like week later, <laughs> get you the next time, pal. Yeah, one in five seems about right, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I was like something, and you know, like, hey, I also, I, I've done all these reviews for you, and I've uh, been uh, did an interview, and we're, I was curious. Hey, would you like to read one of my books or share it with your newsletter? No, <laughs> not my bag. Yeah, the indie world is uh, can be a little bit cutthroat. Oh yes, I mean, I also have some more stories about that. I told you about the permuted press thing, worth uh, that, but I actually have even worse stories. I actually did have a, a publisher who never paid me because they ended up spending all the profits from my books that they had received uh, and selling my rights to Audible uh, with, uh, without on uh, promoting their website. Oh. Well, that was good of him. That's nice. Oh yes, and, yeah, and other things there. It's like, it's like, no, no. As soon as the money rolls in for the other things, I'll pay everyone back. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 I tend to take like you know, kind of a, a Nick's a Nick Fury's granddad view on that. You know, it's like it's like granddad loved people, but he didn't trust them. It'd be hilarious if you were just working a nine to five job and your boss went like, "Well, I had your paycheck, but then I went down to the casino and put it all on black." 
and I'll pay you uh, when that comes through. And unfortunately, that's like yeah. way too common. Like you know, like it, like people get into this business. Like, oh well, this indie publishing thing is is easy. I'm gonna look. You know, I'm gonna just become a publisher. Then they realize that hey, this actually costs money, and oh, not every book takes off. And you know, and uh, screw it, damn it, I have to actually pay these authors. Fuck it, I'm leaving town. Hey, fraud is easy. Oh yes, I eventually uh, got hooked up with Crossroad Press, which is uh. Um, a ve- it's not so I wouldn't call an indie publisher probably a mid tier there because like like ten thousand books, but it is not one of the big six either. And they're I'm relatively satisfied with uh, them because I can say I'm published by the same guy who does Brian Lumley and Clive Barker's audiobooks. Yep. It's like you know I can I can pretend I'm uh, I'm cropped into the oh, picture. Yeah, nice. Nope that 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 is definitely solid. That doesn't feel like a business model that's going to collapse overnight because it's like mm. you know it's like hey I I signed three authors none of whom anybody has ever heard. <laughs> Uh, well, it's definitely a good uh, point, a post on that there. I do have one famous bit of uh, nerd trivia about uh, my indie experience that isn't related to my books per se, and I have can talk about them all day there, but you would actually have to uh, like throw a question or two at me. Uh, I actually am the guy who negotiated the republishing of the Vampire the Masquerade novels from the 90s. Well, that is an unexpected connection. <laughs> yes. You see, basically, I was, uh, I was going... A huge, uh, lame uh, tabletop gaming nerd. I wasn't even the cool vampire guy who dressed up and uh, tries to get uh, laid at the uh, various LARPs. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, aren't that cool, at all. cool guy. Uh, <laughs> Captain Bonzi. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I was I was the big fat nerd who played at home like Dungeons and Dragons. Well, uh, yeah, at 14 and to 19 in there and uh, at high school. And then, you know, the world of darkness shut its doors for a while there. And I was, uh, and I read the novels, and I enjoyed them. And then I was like, when I was like thirty-eight, uh, which was like a couple of years ago, you know, before the world destroyed itself. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm going to go uh, go reread those novels. And I'm like, oh, hey, none of them are available on Kindle, and it's just been bought by uh, Paradox. And I'm like, it's still in business. And I was like, hey, why are you guys not in Kindle? And there's like, the book is like, well, we don't have anyone who can publish these novels again. And I'm like. I went to Crossroad Press and I was like, hey, would you like to publish all these old vampire novels that are already uh, published? And he's like, okay, sure. Which, you know, should have been the end of the story and it would have been easy money for everyone. But it turns out all of the novels were only saved on PDF. (laughs) And it wasn't even saving the novel, the text in PDF. They had taken photos of the pictures. Oh, that's, uh, (laughs) that's... That's a terrible way of doing things. Yes, that was how they were saved. So it was like they had to figure out ways. So they had to like uh, order a bunch of the old paperbacks from the 90s and then scan them individually to get all the text back. See how an easy win became a, a not so easy yeah. win. And that, but they succeeded and they managed to get the clan novels back out there. And I have given my own contribution to Dungeons and Dragons tabletopping history, except it's okay. White Wolf. I worked in uh, web development for 20 years and the easiest way to turn an easy victory into a complete shit show is to be, is be like, Hey, give me your, all your information. Oh, it's, it's all in this shitty PDF. <laughs> well, there you go. You've, you've done your part for the, the restoration of nerd history. Then you've given something back. Yes, it was. I tried I asked them, would you want to be doing any of the other uh, series uh, that they published in the past? And they're like, fuck no. <laughs> yeah. Just the one that people give a shit about. Thanks. Yeah. That makes sense. So I want what I want to know about is uh, is Cthulhu Armageddon because yeah. I haven't really read too many too many oh. Western uh, Western novels in my time, but like you know that that one I've I've seen it around and I'm like that that's probably one of the few ones that would tempt me to actually read a Western. But, oh, it's not just a Western; it's a post-apocalypse Western. 
It's it's Cthulhu plus Fallout New Vegas. Well, to be fair, like when you watch a Western films, it seems a little bit post-apocalypse. It's just like they're not. Quite, oh yes, they didn't have anything to lose there. It's a, it's a combination of genres there, but the basic uh, premise of the idea is, um, I was thinking about how you know there's always these uh, kind of Lovecraft novels uh, that are made about is like. Oh, uh, they're going to summon the big, huge demon, but we're going to stop the ritual that ends the world. Or, you know, we have the uh, the hardcore Lovecraft purist who's like, oh, and the monster will eat the uh, guy at the end. Or the, But that's only like, you can only do a short story with, with that. And in college, uh, and in one of those little coincidences there, uh, but, but I, you read these series of novels from the 70s by uh, Brian Lumley, who did the Necroscout novels, called Titus Crow, which was... Uh, Brian Lumley doing this over-the-top crazy wizard uh, fighting the great old ones. I was like, well, that was an enjoyable series, uh, and, but, you know, not really particularly Lovecraftian. And so it, it percolated in my brain. What if we did a, a series of uh, novels which uh, take place with the idea that Cthulhu has already, quote-unquote, won. The uh, great old ones rose. Humankind lost 90% of its population in, like, the first few days. And the setting is maybe a hundred years later. Well, the survivors of humanity are trying to just like eck out an existence in the shadow of all these giant monsters and incredible environmental uh, changes. And let's just say uh, physics as a whole concept breaking down. I, dig and it. I was like, that's an interesting idea there. And I was like, I was thinking a little dark tower, a little, the stand here's like, you know, and that would be like, well, if these people, what would humanity be living like in these villages? And uh, was like, oh, that feels like you could do a little Western theme there too. That so, th- th- so I was like, okay, this is Fallout meets uh, Mad Max meets Cthulhu, and I'm like, sure, that'll go with that. And the premise is that uh, in one of these uh, isolated compounds, there's this g- protagonist, John Henry Booth, who wakes up after surviving some shit going down. All of his squad is uh, dead. And everyone blames him for it, that he either ran away or is somehow involved. And, you know, they just set him up for hanging. And he breaks away with the help of another doctor who's trying to escape from the compound because she's in a big bunch of shit herself uh, because, well, she killed her husband. Uh, And he's like, hey, ranger guy, uh, you know other communities outside of our fortified compound. I don't think I'll make it on my own. So why don't I set you loose and we go together and... He's like, sure, I'll take you, but I'm actually uh, going to go uh, out into the wilderness and the wasteland so I can find uh, who fucking killed my squad and kill them. And that just leads on to the story. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I was going to say, you probably should use, uh, you know, like Mad Max meets Call of Cthulhu as like, you know, as like a tagline. I think that's a, I think that's, that's a selling oh, point right a, there. Just write that on a bar napkin, just march into the Netflix headquarters, just slam it on the table, say, fuck you, pay me. Uh, like I said, if I could, if I could get the, uh, if we could get the special effects budget there, I'm sure I could do it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I do actually want to try some, uh, at the end of the year to try and get a script together for uh, the super, super villainy saga to pitch it to Netflix. And I had the idea is like, I'll try and sell it as Seinfeld meets superheroes. You were great at pitches, man. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cthulhu Armageddon uh, was one of those interesting things there. Cause I did the, I did the book and it did very well there, and, but I had, only envision it as a one shot and then i had an idea for a sequel and i did the sequel and that was really good too which was i think the magnificent seven versus cthulhu (laughs) and and, yeah and i did that book and that did very well then and i was like 
oh shit, I don't actually have a sequel for this. And so I left it as a duology. Brokeback Mountain with Cthulhu. There. <laughs> oh, Trilogy. Yes. That's, no, that's just my, for my private use. I wish I could quit Cthulhu. <laughs> they also be eating uh, pudding as well. Just to uh, make a reference that I hope some of you get. Somebody will get I, it. I, okay. I get it. It all comes back to ass pounding. Yes. Uh, basically, yeah. And that's a, that's, a, that's a good thing that I've also learned about uh, having uh, been a writer for six years there. I should have kept churning out Cthulhu books. I had a success there, and the, I was just like, well, it's let the story stand where it may. That was so dumb of me. Oh, tr- tr- Ride that horse into the ground. Trust me, man. I one hundred percent understand. I see. I see. Like you know, I see authors out there, and they're like on, on book like like seventy three of their series, and they're just raking in the like you know cash. And my brain just won't, will not will refuse to like go there. It, it it it's just spinning in like a circle too much. Oh yes. Well, it's a funny thing there. Uh, the super villainy saga lasted uh, was meant to be. Uh, just a trilogy or at this point some books got thin and so i finished the series as i thought at at book four and then uh my narrator who was uh had done all the books jeffrey kafer said he's like you better fucking continue this book it's making money for all of us (laughs) it's like but all my other series and moving on to new projects like continue with what works damn it It, and now i'm on like book nine i can i can kind of uh, i can (laughs) i can respect that you know, I, th- I think I think we all need uh, somebody like that in our life. Be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, I oh I totally assume that's what happened with you and Bill. <laughs> no, no, because I've actually read all your books. And I can just really... yeah. you wrapped up your entire series, and it's like, oh well, I'm, I'm going to start a new a new one with reversing everything. I'm like, good, that's what we fans want. Fuck or uh, fuck the uh, content content of the story. We want more. I think when your narrator comes round to your house with a hammer and says, "I've got a fucking mortgage to pay, man." You're on to you're on to something good. You know, keep on going. Yes. De- oh, definitely. There. I also I uh, I uh, also threw some uh, screwball uh, situations there. It's like because the superhero book. I think I think it was book five that I had uh, the Crisis on Infinite Earth parody, and that was case. I I sent in a bunch of characters from my other book series, and and the funniest thing is that actually did lead to a substantial uptick of people reading the other series. Nice. That's smart. Yes. It's like. This is just a blatant uh, cash grab of mine, and it's working out perfectly. Yeah, that's the thing. Like sometimes, I mean, I mean, you were talking about like you know other series and stuff. It's like, and, and as much as I love, you know, our very our various readers and stuff, man. The 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 one thing that comes out of their lips that that is like almost never true is the phrase, "I will read anything that you ever write." <laughs> oh, oh no, they won't. No, I mean, if you give them the books, maybe they'll get around to them eventually. Yeah, I mean, if uh blatant cash grabs didn't work then disney wouldn't be more powerful than god clearly i uh, clearly i should have gotten into this blatant cash grab thing sooner <laughs> i love that you're just rolling into this podcast with, with some hard truths for the artists out there oh yes it's like you know they're always doing those interviews it's like saying what piece of advice would you give to, uh, to people going to be a writer and i'm like okay don't expect to uh, make any money off it and don't uh, and don't expect your books to be any good at when you first write them. And oh, by the way, hire a fucking editor. <laughs> oh, and if people write some criticism of your stuff, yes, yes, they probably are right. <laughs> except the except the people complaining about them being too woke. Fuck those guys. <laughs> God, the, God, the editor thing. I almost I almost got into a fight with somebody earlier on TikTok because they were talking about like you know how uh, how authors telling other authors you should hire like you know a professional like you know editor or cover artist. They're they're like. That's that's classist. You're ba- you're basically like you know making fun of people for being too poor, 
And it's like, um, no, you're trying to run a business and you're trying to sell a product. Yes, I'm like, you can't really give people excuses along the lines of, oh yeah, my product sucks because I'm too poor to pay for it. <laughs> Rick, you're way too old to fight with people on TikTok. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're going to get your ass kicked. Trust, <laughs> oh, yes. me. No. trust, trust me, I am well aware. <laughs> I have, been, oh, I have yeah. been told time and time again here how embarrassing it is for me to be there. Oh, TikTok, the TikTok thing is hilarious, too, there, because there was recently a, a TikTok controversy, a finger wag, where TikTok readers were saying, like, you should totally read these books and then return them uh, to Amazon and get your money back because we're fighting against the corporate machine. It's like, lady, the only people hurt by that are me. Yeah. The authors are the ones paying the price there. Amazon doesn't care. Amazon wants you buying your shit. everything else you own from there, from the books. Yeah, and also They have I, long since moved away. Amazon probably forgets that it holds a platform for self-publishing authors. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, if, uh, if, they, if they could just have people continue to make content while not... Uh, while uh, not paying them a single dime there, they would. And I think they've probably contemplated that a few times. Yeah. I remember when, when Kindle Limited first got started and they, uh, they I think, reduced the amount you, they paid three or four times. And we stuck around because it was still money. I really hope that the generation coming up does stick to their guns about, like, uh, don't hire an editor, don't sell out to the corporations, because that means less competition for the rest of us. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to be honest. We, I think we all of us here at this table know that there are plenty of people who turn out absolute unedited crap uh, that uh, it follows no writing style whatsoever, and somehow they have managed, at least in a in couple of genres, and I'm not even going to say real genres, you know which one I'm talking about, <laughs> somehow make more money than I've made in five years. Again, you're oh, rolling into this podcast with some hard truths, man. <laughs> I'm not saying it's lit RPG, but it's lit RPG. <laughs> I knew it was lit RPG. Yeah, take two people. You like, you know, one person is a is a great writer, you know, but but a shitty marketer, and the other person is a shitty writer but a great marketer, and you know the great marketer is going to make a lot more money. Yeah. Yes, it's like, yeah. Uh, I just I'm just saying that you know in the in the competition between me and the uh, the three ladies uh, in bikinis on, on a minotaur, uh, I know that they're going to be buying the minotaur. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Again, I'd love to say yeah. like the generation come up realize like. 
don't hire an editor. In fact, don't write a book. Just be pretty and do a dance. You know, at some point, somebody's going to come up with a, po- a competing podcast called Hot Authors and Dragons, and they're going to blow us away within the first week. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I think that's every other like, D&D like, podcast. Yeah, you might have a point. I think that's what we're doing wrong. Why can't you people be better looking? Uh, well, you know, it certainly it certainly would uh, uh, be my vote. Just need to get a bikini. Like, I, I, which would I rather look at? You or uh, insert a <laughs> cosplayer of your choice? <laughs> we, we need to make one of our Patreon Patreon tiers hire, hire spokesmodels and say, like, you're us. Just get some dumb, good-looking people off TikTok and just go, all right, I'm going to... Say some lines, just deliver them. All right, you don't have to understand what's going on. Just stand there and be yes. pretty. This girl is currently dressed as Jessica Rabbit talking about my book. Way better than this. <laughs> Did I pronounce that right? Nobody cares. Just keep reading. <laughs> yeah, I'm. It's interesting enough there. I also am doing the shared universe thing for my books, at least to a certain extent there. I mean, I, uh, I did like Brandon Sanderson did uh, with the fact that technically all of my books take place in the same multiverse, but that doesn't really count. It was only when I actually started combining the little genres one after the other that it became kind of an interesting uh, way of cross-marketing. Uh, I have, first of all, my super uh, villainy books, which you know are their timeline, and, but all these characters cross over from their universes. Second, I have the United States of Monsters, which is where all of my urban fantasy uh, takes place. And I'm not saying it's identical to the world of darkness, but it's identical to the world of darkness, except the monsters are public. That's where I take the pit, the piss out of every single urban fantasy idea whatsoever. I, uh, there's Strand of Fankton, which is clerks meets blades. And the idea is what if you have a vampire that works at a convenience store? Cause you know, lame vampires are a great success. Look at Rick. It's true. Yes. Uh, poor Peter's a poor black vampire working at the, at the convenience store with his friend. And, uh, Somehow he gets constantly uh, sucked into uh, the big, sexy, elder vampire politics. And, you know, that kind of Charlie Brown ill luck is just always manages to sell itself. And I did, uh, and I did, I was a teenage were-deer, which is uh, the books about the werewolves, except I chose the absolutely lamest animal you could be while still being plausible <laughs> as something that you would actually turn into. Because, ah, you know. Deer at least have some dignity. Yeah, man. I actually had where deer show up in, uh, in one of my one of my recent ones. So, yes, I was like, I'm pretending that's an homage to me. Whenever people uh, are reading your book and say like, "Hey, there's where deer," I've had like three people walk up to me. It's like, yeah, totally. Rick's homaging me. I go go for it. I hate sweet tooth. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, well, it's a general point there, and uh, I think I have two other uh, book series set in there. First was the esotericism series that spies versus uh, monsters thing I did. I told you about that. Ne- that I got the rights back like four years later. Wow. I just I just said, oh, this is the past before the the supernatural came out. Totally just lying my ass off and uh, and merging it with it and it worked. People actually bought a couple of copies of that from the other ones. And finally, of uh, the series that are set in this, I, I've already like four trilogies here, uh, is Psycho Killers in Love. That's a great title. Which is which is my slasher novel, except set in an urban fantasy world. <laughs> and, you know, people love that one there, and I get more requests for that than anything. I'm like, why? It's a terrible book. <laughs> it's making fun of how utterly pointless slasher movies are and just how they're excuses. And you know what? That's Yeah, that's why we like it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> the money keeps rolling on in. I'm going to go keep yeah, making sequels. Pretty much. After a while, you just got to be like, I'm not questioning. I just give the people what they want. Oh yeah. So that was the that was the second universe, and the third universe 
is where I put all my sci-fi books. And, you know, it's, I got, I had the cyberpunk books, which are agent G and daughter of the cyber dragons. Uh, they they do pretty well, but not great. And then I was like, I had, uh, I did my star Trek space opera parodies. and like saying like, well, why didn't I say this takes place 200 years in the future from that? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And you know, from there I, uh, I went on and, uh, did my uh, Firefly? This one's like okay. This takes 800 years in the future after all of humanity's uh, golden age of Star Trek fell apart. Fair enough. Yeah, and you know, sense. I don't know if it works there, but if I have a single fan who goes over, that's one more sale. No, you're you're not wrong. There you go. Uh, jumping on the multiverse trend. And you too could have your own massive multiverse if you uh, write massive amounts of books for uh, for little to some money. <laughs> I've been I've been playing around with like you know little cameos from like you know one book book to another probably uh, probably not enough to actually cause any uh, any read through but uh you know, right now it's kind of in the easter egg stage yes you could have made so much more you know i i i bought second string savior because it takes place in the Millverse, man so it worked a little bit there you go but now i was like why is it not bentley with bill that could be a, a massive uh power couple yeah you know, you know, and if you're wondering why i keep bringing this up there it's like it's in the couple of years I've known Rick, I am constantly bringing up shipping things like I'm a 13-year-old girl just to annoy him. <laughs> uh, Rick, give the people what they want, damn it. Well, here's the thing. I actually do. I like, you know, once I hear enough of something, I will usually find a way to work into a book, but then fuck with it. Just enough to be like, you know, here's a little, here, here's just a little taste. Now I'm going to take it away from you. Oh, yes. Yes. But it's, it's always been my, uh, my, little uh, casual thought that fandom there that if i ever get shippers uh to contact me among my fandom that's clearly when i've made it <laughs> if, if if at some point some some you know 15 year old uh, girl or a uh, middle-aged mom goes like yes your two mainly le- uh, male leads should get together and i wrote fanfic i'm like yes i have finally done it yeah def- definitely when you have uh, this is the mark of a true success you have people writing their own uh, slash uh, fanfic there you 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 have definitely made it yes <laughs> i love your books but here's my greasy little fantasy about some yeah. of your characters fucking you're like yes oh yes mm-hmm. made it oh yeah that would be the best but then it would, would, would be the worst is if they pull like you know an el james and they change around just enough and then they make a billion dollars off of it and nobody gives a shit about yours it's just these poorly disguised characters of yours <laughs> fucking i think the trick is to like make your own fanfic oh oh if you want hard truth there it's this is actually a thing i've uh, mentioned there i've told fanfic authors is like yes you should totally just knock off the uh all the dust of your thing and publish your uh your fanfic as a uh, original fiction there and you will find possibly find a market there and they're like, no, 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 that's just unfair and uh, and working. I'm like, no, El James did it. Yeah. Now the, the gates are open. You can't un, un, you can't close the doors now. Yeah. the dimension is is onto ours. Yeah, and, and it takes a, a surprisingly little amount of work to like you know to take something like that and move it away from where it's a copyright violation. Oh yeah. I mean, in her case, they're pretty much just saying, oh, they're not vampires anymore. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that you think that would be a big change, but apparently it's not. <laughs> uh, you just, you know, and uh, and since I write parodies of, of popular genres, is pretty much my coda there. I I pretty much am already protected copyright wise. Hmm. But yeah, the the whole point of the rules of supervillainy was like, okay, what if Spider Man uh, had the credo of uh, with great power comes great irresponsibility, but instead of having spider powers, he had the powers of a wizard. <laughs> and then it's like oh yeah and, um, and on the cover there's this girl who blatantly looks like Harley Quinn except uh, more Red Riding Hoodish uh, sexy costume and I'm like 
people look at that and it's like, okay, I'm buying it. I'm like, I totally attribute uh, my success to that. It's like, <laughs> Iki Boy ends up with a uh, with a pastiche of a comic book character I wanted to bang when I was a teenager. I'm like, okay, let's go for it. Safety. I could say it's, it's it's the quality of my writing and my skill, but no, no, it's much more primordial, and I don't give a shit. <laughs> this has got to be the most behind the mask indie author interview we've done yet. And we've had some people getting like pretty close to the the bone of what it is we do. I don't think we've had somebody as cheerful as you, and yet as really as nihilistic. <laughs> as horrifically realistic. I mean, I'm I'm going to tell you about that whole fanfic uh, kind of thing. There, I blatantly say that uh, the, there's probably not nearly as much difference between me and El James as you think. There, because at one when I was just like. T- typing out randomly the super villainy saga there is like oh you know what's what would be i need to fill up a few chapters it's like what if his ex-girlfriend comes to reveal oh and it's supergirl <laughs> <laughs> this you know incredibly lame superhero geek guy uh, sorry super villain geek guy apparently used to to be supergirl's oh, boyfriend and now uh, and now he's harley quinn's and is like yeah sure why not it's like believability who gives a shit <laughs> <laughs> well it's working for you man that's <laughs> yeah Oh, he, his wife his his wife becomes a vampire. Well, at this point, why not? Uh, oh yeah, that's just the, the the whole thing there. And you know, it's <laughs> a lot of fun there. And you know, I I Space Academy dropouts. I I'm not saying it's Mass Effect fan fiction, but it's you know it's Mass Effect Star Trek Blade Runner fan fiction. <laughs> so therefore, it's all original. I love that your creative approach just seems to be kicking down a door with an armful of genres you love saying who gives a fuck let's do this it's called i call it my margarita um writing method it's like okay isn't it it's a complete copy of this and now throw in something else put another thing in and now we hit the blender everybody loves a margarita oh yeah this, this it's, it almost sounds like the entire writing process is almost around those like those cookies or so it's like you take a bite it's like yeah so it's like <laughs> the character he's like the hulk but he only rages out when he has to take a really massive shit <laughs> Oh, 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 we, I've all come up with, you know, I'm now I'm regret not having a cult character in my book to parody and like thing like, yeah, this is sulk. He, he, the sadder he gets, the stronger he gets, but you know <laughs> what we have to say really depressing shit to him. And he, then I hope he uh, manages to hit the sweet spot where he's active enough to do anything. <laughs> you got to get, you got to get so depressed. He's super strong, but not too depressed. He kills himself. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty much there. Of course, it'll be blue because, you know, we're uh, that's the perfect color for Sulk. <laughs> yeah, it's Battle Christ. Sulk, weep. Sulk, sad. Oh, the radioactive tears. That's just a perfect power, yeah. You wouldn't like me when I'm pouting. <laughs> That'd be great. Like, like Than- Thanos is is beating everybody and stuff. They're just trying to, like, your mother never loved you. <laughs> your, your father ran away because you were ugly. The more effective the villain is at doing the uh, gloating monologue the more powerful the Sulk is going to become. Oh, yes. Though, to be, uh, now I'm going to be uh, going on to another uh, wonderful, fun topic of uh, ridiculous shit I've experienced as an author, which is uh, when you somehow get a reputation as an author with an agenda, even though you're not. Yes, I'm sorry. We're going to get a little political here, there, and you know we can just you know edit this entire process out because uh, clearly it's all radio. Anyway, here's my manifesto. Uh, t- t- tell, tell us about your toxic wokeness. <laughs> your toxic wokeness. <laughs> Oh, oh yes. I, 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 sh- I make a point there. Whenever I get one of the one star reviews, and I get them re- often enough, there. Uh, I th- today I got one that says that I hate all religious white people. And man, lady, I grew up in Kentucky. 
And, you know, it's also funny there. And, and they gave me the one star review that, you know, says I was I should just be ashamed of myself there. So, the, of course, the thing I did, I, I saved it, saved that onto my computer immediately and started sharing it around because that is great advertising. <laughs> I think I like sell like an extra hundred copies of the book whenever I get one of these reviews and uh, share it around uh, uh, around Twitter, because, you know, there's obviously these people are going to be going like. Well, clearly, I need to go stand against these obnoxious assholes and buy a copy. Mm. I don't care if you read it. Solid philosophy. And it works. I, co- I think the NWA did the exact same thing with the FBI telling them they should stop talking about shooting cops. And, you know, there's clearly such a similarity between me and them. Well, but yeah, <laughs> no, uh, what, here's, what here's the thing is, uh, there are some very super sensitive readers on Twitter and, and uh, Amazon and uh, Audible and so on. And they... and. You never know what will set them off, but apparently you can do that very easily. And I've got no end of people talking about my quote unquote agenda. I think, which is first of all, uh, apparently because I occasionally do include some gay uh, care or uh, brown characters in my books. How dare that you. by itself is enough. I, I think I think I think it's safe on this podcast. This uh, you don't have to call them super sensitive. You can just call them assholes. <laughs> oh yes, but it was the third book of the super villainy saga where. Uh, I made the mistake of making a couple of uh, Trump references with the e- President Evil. <laughs> yeah, his, his name is a President Omega, but I think I was originally just saying, call it, flat out calling him President Evil because it's a superhero parody. But I guess I figured that Omega was less <laughs> silly. Yeah, I think I said he had tiny hands, and there was a deluge of people who uh, who uh, said I was you know hating America. Yeah, one one of my, one of my first angry reviews for uh, for my Bent series. Was uh, was somebody who wasn't appreciative that I put a Scientology joke in uh, in there? It was like I enjoyed this book up until this joke, and, uh, until this, and obviously this person has no respect. Um, actually, you're right; I don't have any respect for that shit. <laughs> but thanks for oh, noticing. Yes. I mean, it's like I'm 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 a raging anarchist, uh, so I uh, and uh, so yeah, I, I my politics are very clearly worn on my sleeve there. But no, I don't refer. Or, write uh, for my politics i write because i, I think it's hilarious hmm. and occasionally yes i'll throw in a jab there but have a gross sense of humor i think another good example of them what the which is probably more appropriate for this podcast and just the sheer stupidity of it i made a joke about uh in space academy one uh where they come across a a bunch of neo-confederate space pirates and you know the 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 uh the space pirates are uh get arrested because you know they're pirates and the heroes shoot it out with them and uh finally arrest them and they're shouting like you can't take our guns away we have second amendment rights and i'm like and then uh the protagonist vance turbo to give you a sense of how uh, serious i take my writing vance goes lady we're in space and i thought that was hilarious and so did plenty of my friends uh <laughs> otherwise and then and then there was like three one-star reviews from people going like this is just propaganda. They're talking about how much you hate, uh, uh, you hate America. And I'm like, as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I wasn't making fun of America, guys. I was making fun of Firefly. <laughs> I was just going to say, I love, love the fact that you have a character named Vance Turbo, because I, I used to tell my wife that if I ever decide to write, start writing sci-fi, my, uh, my pen name was going to be Dirk Nitro. <laughs> oh, yes. I just, I, yeah, the whole, the whole pain, the thing takes the uh, context that uh, Vance is uh, a Space Academy washout there, but he swaggers with the full Zap Brannigan kind of ordeal there with slightly more confidence and somehow makes it work. Yeah, my only... Sci-fi protagonist is called okay. Duke White Power. I wonder what he—he's. I hope he's black. No, he's extremely white. I got some comments on that one. Uh, Funny enough, <laughs> really? Yeah, I never would have guessed. You—you you don't say. Really, I never. You're right. You're I right. never would have guessed. I, I assume it would just been a deluge of love and uh, and lack of. Prison. No, but it, no, but just uh. like you're saying, though, it's mostly. I don't. I don't think the South is fairly represented in this book. You, you need a sense of humor about these things, is which which is what the same. It's in space. It's like you know, if 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 you're gonna freak the heck out by any joke, I think comedy is not a genre, or otherwise, is not your forte. Yeah. Because inevitably, a funny book will result in everyone being offended at some point. Yeah, the first page of Space Buffy does have uh, Jesus Christ as Chewbacca. <laughs> it's like, if you've read past that page, everything else is on you, you know? Take some responsibility for yourself. Yes. If you weren't offended by a major uh, religious figure being portrayed as a Wookiee, <laughs> then... Uh, I, I don't see what anything offensive about that there. After all, C.S. Lewis what, portrayed uh, Jesus as a lion, so clearly you're following in his uh, magnificent uh, Christian apologist footsteps. There you go, yeah. I get that all the time. <laughs> I mean, clearly, obviously, we're both de- deeply all serious uh, genre writers speaking in, in dark symbolism and uh, to the heart of the human experience. Oh, definitely. Like, can, you know, we get that all the turf. time. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, I'm getting calls all the time from like you know literature prof- professors saying, "Hey, would you like to come in and and discuss the symbolism uh, within this, uh, you know, how you name this uh, this Sasquatch after a giant shit?" <laughs> ah. It's 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 got to understand there. The use of the Bigfoot is about indigenous people and uh, their relationship to nature being overwhelmed by the uh, white. Uh, a disdainful establishment as represented by the vampires i will i will never say that because because uh, i will get my ass beat because i make the i try to make the sasquatches as fucking ridiculous as possible oh oh, oh i underst- understand that you know that well that statement that i just said there uh was the most use i've gotten out of my literature degree 
Uh, what else is a literature degree for, really? Oh, 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 and if someone actually ever said that to you seriously or some kind of symbolism regarding your Sasquatches there, you should slap the shit out of them. <laughs> oh, trust me. That, that'd be one of those ones where, like, you know, I'd probably, I'd show up in a suit and tie and start talking all pretentious and then like about five minutes into it, be like, what the fuck is wrong with all of you? Yeah, I mean, you can, you can write a, a literary criticism of anything, and I have actually done so as a joke. I think I did... I once did a, a paper on Star Wars, the Crystal Star, which was like the most YA of the old legends books there deliver and the, and the most ridiculously plotted. I think it had a giant jello as the villain. <laughs> and I wrote a five page paper on, uh, on the presence of cults. There you go. I mean, I'm astounded. Okay, and now I'm embarrassed. That I said that there, let's go Dr. The Dick and fart joke. I'm ast- astounded. They didn't include that in the, uh, the later movies. That sounds intriguing. No, I'm I'm not going there. I'm gonna uh, I'm starting to open my mouth and give all um and I'm gonna give a 20 minute speech on Star Wars the, the Rise well, of Skywalker. Let, and no, I cannot so let's do hear it. your thoughts on uh, on uh, Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> no, <laughs> they killed it. They broke it. I don't know how they did it. It's irreparable. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, that about sums they it up. My, yeah, that... the thing that was my religion <laughs> pissed me off the most about that movie was all the plot shit that they edited out that they were like, well, this is explained in the novel. Well, I don't want to read the fucking novel. I paid to see the fucking oh. movie. So don't just have the emperor show up out of nowhere and have everybody be like, oh, he's alive. We're not going to ask a damn that's, single that's, question. That's the thing that. there. You, you actually have the fucking emperor do, do a galactic broadcast and you don't show the fucking galactic broadcast. You do it in yeah. Fortnite. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, that that is that is such a mistake of basic filmography that I don't even know how to how to how to respond to it, and you know we could be there uh, they're all fucking night there and oh yeah you know, the the whole of course expense of like clearly there was no plan there were no answers <laughs> they were doing this right yeah, they, they were pants, pretty much yeah. doing the same thing that the Battlestar Galactica crew was it's like oh yeah everything will be revealed oh god we got to come up with answers to this shit uh, apparently this is very common too because that was also the X Files and Lost and I'm like. How fucking difficult is it to make a story bible? I mean, in all in all fairness, <laughs> I think a lot of us as writers also do that, but we try to be competent enough to at least make it look like we had an idea what we were talking about. I mean, you you have a fucking at least a fucking idea of the answer in, uh, if you throw out the question in with most writers at this point. It doesn't have to be a good idea. You can change your mind later, but you know, you have an essential i uh, uh, one quality that you can respond there. It doesn't have to uh, again, to be a good idea, but at least you have an answer. Just throwing it out there and saying, like, I'll come up with something later is something I don't think any author I've known in genre will do that. And again, I write silly parody. I think this is what you get when you get a system that is uh, almost entirely dependent on somebody giving a really good pitch. You know, evolution creates people who are great at pitches, and they're like, yeah, they bought our concept. And they're like, oh shit, we've got to write a script now. You know, something, any any series that gets past, like, say, like four or five seasons, at that point, when you're heading into the final season, that's where you bring in a couple super fans and you sit them down and be like, here's our ideas for ending it. And if, they're based, if their reply is, that makes no fucking sense, then you change it. <laughs> the Battlestar Galactica one is the one that really fucking gets me there because, you know, you they underlined it. In the very, in the very, in the very opening of the of fucking credits, there that uh, by lying to the other plans, like, and the Cylons have a plan. 
Yeah. Because, you know, it's one thing to, it's one thing to like make shit up. It's another to blatantly state flat out that our premise yeah. is a lie. Asylums might have had a plan, but the writers did fucking not. What is the what is the plan? We don't have one. We threw it in because it sounded See, you know something as a as a writer you know what i would have done i would have been like you know the, hey the silence have a plan oh we just killed them all i guess we're never gonna learn it that, that would explain a lot about your later books friend <laughs> no seriously i thought i came onto this to make fun of rick's books there and we're, we're not it's just i'm so ashamed feel, feel, feel free there's plenty to make fun of there <laughs> we're, esta- we're establishing a, 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 a dramatic rivalry you know <laughs> ken and ryu are, are we gonna have to have a, like you know a, like a dramatic like you know lightsaber battle you know, at the, at, the, at the next convention or so? Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely, yes. The fans will demand it. Oh, yeah. It's what we'll be missing off the podcast. We need some uh, manufactured rivalries. I don't care how manufactured they are. Oh, yes, absolutely. And next year, at Econ, it will be ritual combat. There was a Penny Arcade series about uh, the idea of, like, one of the uh, characters, Tycho or uh, Brian, as friend and uh the idea that he had this hugely successful series as a B-fantasy author that the other guy didn't even know about. And one time uh, in the in the comics, there they go to a convention uh, that's in his honor, and it, and there he's like, "Oh my God, my rival!" <laughs> and he's like, "You have a rival?" It's like, "Absolutely!" And the other guy just does not know who the fuck he is and starts whipping the moderator when he uh, takes the camera away from him. <laughs> I think every convention needs that. Yeah, just some WWE moments. Uh, it's like, oh, also- yes, this is how it sh- it should be. This is how authors truly see themselves. There, I tried to start a rivalry with Bob Saget. But he never took the bait. <laughs> R.I.P. Such a shame. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say well, I, think I have several secret rivals. I mean, this was before he died. All right, I was going to say if you wait till after. God, I got. I hope so. Seems a bit one-sided. One day, dead Bob Saget, I'm going to dig you up and skull fuck you. <laughs> Shit. He did a couple of those jokes actually, which is hilarious. There was and there's a movie called Half Baked where uh, Bob Saget plays a, a former crack addict who uh, used to suck men off. There you go, Bevan. He never stood a chance. Oh, no, no, no. I, 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 I didn't expect to win the rivalry. I just hoped he would, you know, I just wanted him to fight me. <laughs> I just wanted him to fight me before he died. Oh, well. That's well, why I didn't know he was going to die Okay, well, in any anyway. case, I'm using my cell phone to respond here. It's like I'm sneaking up on Rick's house right now with the final third down. Perfect alibi, my friends. Saying? That's all I got to say. This is what the uh, indie author community needs just two nerds enter one nerd leaves let's get some stakes going yeah i mean celebrity slap fight we could reinvigorate the entire convention process you know back back when i was at college they, they always used to have uh oh yes for, for all of their their stupid festivals they would always get like this thing called bouncy boxing and i always thought that would be an awesome thing to like you know to do at conventions where you have the two headliners and you just put them in like you know a bounce house with like you know big inflatable boxing gloves just to see who wins yeah i'm gonna find out say there if more conventions had bouncy castles there wouldn't be any of these uh uh going around uh, talking to authors <laughs> things there i would never leave so yeah you can chat to me but uh you're gonna have to get in the bouncy house yeah. talking to neil gaiman or the bouncy castle i'm like i'm sorry neil you, you've lost Guys, I think you might be onto something. Hmm? That's how we can save A and D Con. In D Con twenty twenty three. We need a bounce house bouncy house. Yes, yes, bouncy house, you know. Big ball of you know there was actually a uh of on RPG.net they uh, shared the saddest cons ever, and one of them was like a My Little Pony Con where there was like a, a very small number of tail and the saddest little ball pit <laughs> ever. I'm gonna take down Joe. Uh. <laughs> And yeah, interesting enough. There, I've got 
I had a, a good story behind uh, Space Academy dropouts there. I was I was submitting to Podium Audible to see like if I could maybe get a, a new uh, series going and with a new publisher and see if they uh, will be able to reach a larger audience and see if there's a crossover. So I I did I did uh, two books for uh, them at the start, uh, one after the other, just ramming them out there because I said like I have this trilogy ready for to go and there's like okay good get us in two months and I'm like oh shit because <laughs> I hadn't written a word. <laughs> So I finish up uh, the two books there and get it to them uh, without sleep for like the entirety of November, December there. And they're like, okay, thank you. Uh, we'll probably publish this in a few months. And I'm like, oh, good. And there, and so the books finally get published there. It's like, and they contacted me. It's like, uh, and they're like, oh, when's the third book going? And I says like, well, you said you had a year. It's like, yeah, I can get it out next month. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and I'm like, okay, absolutely. At that point, they're, they're just trolling you. Like, oh, when's it gonna be? When's it gonna be due? Oh, six yes. months. Well, we'd like it in two. <laughs> hey, man, you know, I'm good. Uh, it's uh, selling pretty well there, so uh, I guess uh, I'm entirely okay with that. There you go. This is what you need the distractions for. It's like, yeah, if you want the book, come fight me in the bouncy house. You can have the book. <laughs> that that should, that needs to be a level in Street Fighter uh, is Street Fighter Six or so. It's like the bouncy castle. I will release the audio book if 100 people can defeat me in the bouncy. <laughs> Uh, we uh, need to shake things up a bit. I think that's been established, and I think uh, CT is definitely on something here. Yeah, it's like kick, Kickstarters are so passe. I'm I make uh, make my yearly wage talk uh, making uh, sto- sex stories about superheroes and uh, and Star Trek. So hey, man, you know I'm living the dream. This is how we fight back against the Zoomers who clearly don't need editors or publishers or anything really, just by pile driving them into a bouncy house. Oh yes, that's all we got. A superior bulk and a bouncy house. We would be like the ooey bowl mm-hmm. of authordom. That's all I've ever really wanted, ah, Rick. I yeah, mean, pretty much. <laughs> ooey bowl uh, offends so much of us there because somehow we got uh, to manage to make a living out of or making really she movies of things we love. He's living the dream. Yeah, he f- he figured out that like you know, hey, if I just if I just make crap movies and they fail, I get these huge tax breaks. <laughs> and apparently, he has a big enough ego that he doesn't give a shit how many hearts he breaks by like destroying franchises say so, oh, people love this shit don't they i don't care if i do it good or not they'll come and see it anyway you know uh to uh, put on my uh, uh my uh, my asshole geek hat is like says like oh yeah i'm sure you bull really cares about what you think now he's uh, making a, a live action blood rain movie with lots of nudity yeah yeah he's just gonna really feel it a new bowl absolutely will fight you in a bouncy house as well oh yeah oh yeah well, you know, as long as he doesn't see my shiv, it'll be fine. <laughs> <sighs> well, this has been an absolutely intriguing peek behind the curtain of the uh, mm. the realities of the indie world for us genre writers. No holds barred, but very entertaining nonetheless. Bleak uh-huh. vision of the bouncy house-fueled carnage of the future. But I'm here for it. Mm. I think that's uh, it's what needs to happen in order for the art to survive. CT, tell us, uh, tell us where people can find can find you and your stuff. You know, plug away. Well, I go uh, go on Amazon for uh, the Kindle Limited for all of my series except Zuberlini Saga because I make way too much money selling it directly. <laughs> and uh, Audible is probably the best place to get the uh, the books because they're more expensive and I make more money that way. And all of my books are on audio. And finally. I actually have had my uh, my first book translated into a different language with the rules of supervillainy now available in German. Ooh. I love how completely unvarnished 
about this, you are. If anyone listening to this is hoping to become a uh, a writer, get into the game and self-publish, I think this is probably the most useful podcast you can listen to. Yeah, it's like it's like, it's like right now we can tell you fuck your art. Listen to this shit. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying that uh, if you want to know what it will make you a success as an author, yeah, everyone wants to know that uh, asshole. <laughs> Dude, you got to write a self help book. Oh uh, well, you know if I'm going to recommend anyone else's books, there I clearly will recommend Rick's book. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I recommend Stephen King's On Writing, which is just has the exact same attitude of I stumbled into this massive amount of success here. Here's roughly some ideas here, <laughs> and that conversational tone makes it great. Oh, I always lo- I always love dealing with the ones who are all like, it's like, so what's the secret? Um, keep playing the lottery and eventually hope you get lucky. Yeah, not not inspiring, but so what was true. your secret of winning the lottery? Well, I paid off the guy who runs the balls and we split the money. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be two types of people listening to this: those who are inspired by it and those who are absolutely devastated by it. <laughs> Either way, if you're out there, good luck with your writing career. Indeed. Why? Why do you hate yeah. white people of faith, CT? Why? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a double. It's it's doubly uh, funny there because the, I'm going to also point out the fact there only is one explicitly religious character in the books as the protagonist. So clearly, they were just looking <laughs> for something to be unoffended on there, and you know they're of course going to find it. Well, it's the national pastime these days. Oh yeah, you're doing a, you're doing a service. You got to keep these people busy. Oh, oh yes, but you know, again, the best the best part about these uh, incredibly reactionary, ideology driven, bad reviews is they're going to be the best advertising you can get. So look at that. <laughs> Agreed. On that note, yeah, thanks for coming on. It's been enlightening. We've had a great time. Listeners, uh-huh. please do go pick up books from one of his various series, or all of them for preference, I imagine. And uh, we'll see you next time on SideQuest. Bye. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.